glad that you're with us here this morning. Uh, I'm hoping that you found a meaningful way to celebrate Easter last weekend. I mean, it's hard to believe that it was only a week away, right, Bill? Like, holy smokes, that just seemed like, I don't know. It seems like there's more days than six or seven between now and then. Um, but maybe you had a great time. We thank you to Pastor Craig and his team who put together the Good Friday Easter Path. Those of us who participated in that really had a great time together in in our households uh, as we attempted to just engage in that. I wonder if I can do this just to get that down. We really had a great time as we attempted to engage in that together and just kind of take the teaching into our homes. Uh, Thank you to those who joined me for the Easter Sunday sunrise worship service, uh, worship time together, and and, um, and then our 10 a.m. Easter service. Uh, People continue to view those online. There are actually hundreds of views of those those events. And so continue to pray that that would be fruitful, that that God would use those. And and maybe maybe you're with us this morning because of that, and, and you're still kind of maybe finishing off that turkey that uh, you cooked up last weekend, or maybe it was ham, or I know there were some good Albertans among us who uh, barbecued steak, and uh, so, that, so good, good on you, that was, and, and here we are, like just kind of a week out from that. Last Sunday, we looked at um, the, the close friend of, of Jesus, the Apostle Peter, and the public message he brought, the sermon that he brought 50 days after that first Easter event, and, and we were listening to what the church was saying, what the friends of Jesus were saying, uh, how they explained what took place, and the response that they were calling people to. And we looked at Peter's sermon, Acts chapter 2, if you want to go back and refresh your memory at some point. Jesus Christ had risen from the grave, and that changed everything. Like, this was an extraordinary, uh, time-altering, eternity-dividing event. I mean, as Peter explained, when when Jesus was alive, he performed miracles, and Peter says these were the verification of the Father that indeed this is the Son. If you and I had been there, I suspect we would have been like, holy doodle, you know, like pay attention, what is going on here? You know, people are being healed, people are being raised from the dead by this man, Maybe, maybe I should be listening to what he says. And then... And then, of course, uh, Jesus predicted that he was going to, that he was going to die, and, and we're like, well, th- that, that could be just fine. Uh, anybody can predict their death. You might even have a hand in it, <laughs> right? Uh, but then he predicted that he was going to rise from the dead three days later. Now, at that point, I suspect that some of us would just be kind of rolling our eyes, saying, oh, my goodness, right? But when you pull it off, When you actually do it, you say you will rise from the dead three days after your death, and you do it, well, this is a whole new playing field now. This is a whole new conversation. I mean, if Jesus' miracles attested to the fact that he was from the Father before his death, surely they attest to it after he was raised from the dead, after the resurrection of Jesus. Um, And there were 3,000 people that day that heard Peter's sermon who said, I agree with that. We don't know how many people actually were in attendance, but there were 3,000 who said, yeah, yeah, I need to do something about this. I I need to turn to God, repent of my sin, and and be baptized. Repent of my sin. That's accepting, it's agreeing with the fact that that I have errors and omissions in my life, and, and I'm sorry, Lord. I've been walking in my own direction. I'm turning. I want to walk in your direction now. We, we call that repentance. 
As they turn to God and begin to walk in this new direction. And then Peter instructed them to be baptized into Christ Jesus. So they've received forgiveness of sin. Uh, It's pardon. It's a pardon from from offense. Jesus took uh, the guilt and the shame and in its return gave us forgiveness. His perfect record. Pardon. But then we come and we say, well, but what about the rest of this? Um, If we had read that passage again, we would read at the end of that sermon, Peter says, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we say, well, what what is that about? In fact, it, it provokes a little bigger question than that. What is this thing that, that Peter was inviting them into? Like, what is this that they are being called to? What, what is this thing that you and I are being invited into? Like, it seems that the, even on, on the basis of what we've read already, it seems that it's about more than just a decision, more than just a prayer, more than just maybe even a, a spiritual encounter. And if you've read more broadly in the New Testament, uh, you will have read or heard things, well, th- some, some things that sound kind of metaphor-like. They're, they're metaphor-sounding terms like membership. Membership. Um, if you've read more broadly in the New Testament, you'll have heard belonging terms uh, about this thing, like a family. Um, you, you will have heard some philosophical-sounding terms like believe. So, so, so is that what we're being invited into? Are those adequate descriptors of this thing which Peter, as he preached on Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, and he's explaining to them, and, he's, and they're saying, what should we do? And he's like, here's what you need to do. So, so, so they do that, we do that, and what is this that they're being invited into? Is this membership? Like, is it membership like your Costco membership? Right? Membership has its privileges. You know, you get to shop there, maybe get a little better deal, as long as you stay six feet from anybody who's shopping with you these days, right? Uh, um, is, is it like membership? Um, is, is, are, are people being invited into family? Like, you know, the, the way we use uh, the, the term family around things like clubs or, or, or fraternities, like family language gets used regularly in the, the life of, of our, the sphere of our society. We talk about, you know, brothers and sisters. And so, so is that what Peter has in mind? Uh, family in the sense of fraternity or, or a club? Is that what Jesus was talking about when he used this kind of language? Uh, is, this, is this believing in Jesus about kind of a, a simple intellectual agreement? I believe two plus two equals four. Okay, I believe. Is that what Jesus is talking about? I can agree to to these ideas. Here's the problem with something as superficial as membership in a club or or, or like a a family, like a fraternity or or belief as intellectual agreement. There There will come time, there will come a time, if that's all you've got, and maybe that time is even today, when that simply will not be enough. When things get really difficult, it's natural for us to question. Am am I doing the right thing here? 
this is really difficult. Uh, am I going the right way? Um, is what I'm doing working? Uh, car has trouble? So, so maybe Ford's not working for you anymore, so you're going to switch to General Motors, <laughs> okay? Uh, you, you know, um, the Packers maybe aren't winning, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a Seahawks fan. Uh, some of you I know are saying, oh, say, say, say never. Uh, um, but but it's, it's true of faith. When things get difficult, what is it that, that causes me to stand when the storm blows? What is this thing that, that Peter was inviting you and I into? There have been times in my life when I strongly question the very foundation of what I believe. Is there really a God? Does he genuinely love me? Am I truly prepared to believe and act upon the words of Jesus? And for some of us, maybe even many of us, in moments of questioning... In moments of doubt, it, it may be that the best we could come up with were kind of like the words that Peter used in John chapter 6. Where else would I go? Who, who but you, Jesus, have the words of eternal life? That was a season when Jesus had said some difficult things and people were leaving. And he turned to those around him and said, are you leaving too? And Peter's like, like, I'm confused as all get out. I don't understand what's going on. All I know is you have the words of life. I, I got no other options. And it could be this morning that you're, you seem like you're just hanging on by a thread. Jesus has some words of encouragement for you and some words of direction that I, I want to invite you to hear. How do we grow such that we find a place where we're just we're not shaken viscerally when adversity, when challenge comes along? And Jesus offered several pictures, several metaphors to help us find our way from a starting point of simple belief, and trust into a much deeper place of what we're going to refer to this morning as abiding in Christ, living in Christ, and he living in me. And one of the metaphors that gets used in the pages of the New Testament to help us understand what this teaching, what Jesus was teaching, is the image or the idea of a vine and a branch. So the Apostle Peter, when he, on the day of Pentecost, said, turn to God, Acts chapter 2. If we read a little further in Acts, we would hear the Apostle Paul preaching, and he'll say things like, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. We could jump back into the Gospels, John 14, for instance, and we would hear Jesus himself say, you believe in you believe in the Father, believe also in me. And they're talking about a far more involved and invasive, transforming reality 
than simple membership or family like a fraternity or or believing one plus one equals two. Turn to God, believe in Jesus, put your faith in Jesus Christ. This is all talking about a spiritual reality and an invitation into a spiritual relationship. And this morning I'm going to invite you to, to think about this language of abiding in Christ. Jesus Jesus is inviting you into a a new spiritual abiding. Alternative words, dwelling, lingering, remaining in Christ. And and, and to help us understand this, Jesus offers us uh, the the picture of, of a grapevine. He points us to a grapevine. So let's read this together. I'm going to be in John chapter 15, first 11 verses of John chapter 15. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, ESV. Um, it'll be on the screen here for you. This is the word of the Lord. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean or pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. May he help us understand it and and, and begin to live out of it even more effectively. So, so this instruction to, to turn from God, Peter, Acts chapter 2, to believe in Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus, these instructions uh, I think are, are, are well thought of like a, a doorway that leads into a new spiritual residence, a place to abide, a place where we are to remain. But those words sound far too static or disengaged to capture the full meaning of Jesus here. It's part of the reason that, that the scriptures offers a range of words to help us get a, a more fully orbed understanding. We're gonna see, if we're gonna see and understand what Jesus meant, what his followers came to understand, we're going to need to circle this idea several times. And that's exactly what Jesus done in the, did in the passage that we just read. He kind of circles this idea, 
And then he circles it again to broaden our understanding, offers a few more words so that we'll understand it more fully. And then he'll circle it again. Jesus set the scene with this statement. He says, Jesus is the vine. God the Father is the vine dresser or the gardener. And Jesus' disciples are branches. Here's a picture of a vineyard, just maybe to help you envision the setting. And of course, Jesus is using an allegorical language to paint a picture for us here. But it's deeper than simple metaphor. Jesus is describing the true nature of the union that we are entering into. What is it that we're entering into? What is it that we come into via belief, via faith, via, via membership, via, via this family kind of dynamic? Well, we're entering into a union with Jesus himself through a door of belief. We're entering by faith into a place of spiritual dwelling and belonging. And even there, that language seems a little too static. Dwelling, belonging. A little static to do justice to what Jesus is describing because he adds to us, for us here the language of something that is alive. It's not static. He is the vine. And we are branches. And the purpose, there's purpose the vine and the branches are to produce fruit, in this case, grapes. And so we're being invited into this living, dynamic, spiritual relationship with God. Back in John chapter 4, Jesus was visiting with a woman outside a well in Samaria. And he used this kind of language. He said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And it starts to get at one of the struggles we have. Why do we need so many different kinds of words, so many different kinds of metaphors or allegories to help us understand this? Well, because we're talking about God who is spirit and the necessity of approaching him in spirit. See, we do much better typically about thinking about natural things in natural ways. We want things to be kind of concrete. We want to be able to touch them and feel them and see them. But we're talking about a God who exists in spirit. We use that in spirit term sometimes. We say, I'll be with you in spirit. And what we kind of mean is, I'm just not there, but I'm thinking about you. That's not what we're talking about at all here. God is spirit. He exists in in a spiritual realm, in a spiritual reality, and we approach him in spirit and truth. I'm going to talk about the truth piece in a moment. But let's kind of take this idea of God as spirit, us approaching him spiritually, back to this metaphor, this picture of, of, of living in this living relationship of the vine and drawing nourishment from the roots of the vine up into the branches and out through the branches so that fruit results. And Jesus goes on to say, God in this process is very pleased. In fact, he's so pleased that he'll, he'll prune and clean the branches to ensure even greater fruitfulness. Any of you who have done some gardening, you know that picture. Like you've, you've snipped off the little shooters from a branch that kind of draw away nutrients and get in the, in, in the way of the primary fruitfulness that you're seeking. And so when Jesus invites us to abide, to remain in the vine... There's one sense in which this is a picture of contentment. A branch 
does not have to labor or strain in order to produce fruit. It simply remains in the vine. And there's a natural process that takes place. The, right, the earth receives sun and rain, and then nutrients are present to come up, flowing through the root system of the vine, and then the branch receives what it needs, and then there's this natural thing that results, and it's called fruit. The branch just needs to remain. Disconnected from the vine, it can do nothing. Now, even with that, there's kind of a limitation to our understanding because it sounds very passive, and yet Jesus says it, it, that's not the case. This is not a passive involvement, though you must abide, must, you must remain, you must dwell and linger in. And so Jesus kind of circles around this conversation again, and we come to verse 7, where he says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, now this, this sounds a little bit like Aladdin and his magic lamp. I'll come back to that in a moment. But look at the first part of this. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. If we are living in Christ, and his words are living and abiding in us. The point of Jesus' words here are, are the need for us to abide in him, yes, to remain in him, yes, but that his words actually abide in us us and linger in us. That, that his, the language that Jesus used, uses becomes comfortable in me. It becomes at home in me. As it dwells in me and I in Christ, I'm becoming not just a passive agent in this, I'm becoming an active participant in the, the fruitfulness that God wants to work in me and through me. I'm participating by allowing the words of Jesus to come in. And then by retaining the words of Jesus so that they are secure in me, I'm, I'm lingering on those words. And then when that kind of relationship exists, it's not genie and a lamp that follows. It, it, what I want, what I wish for, is naturally what he wants and wishes for because I'm in him, he's in me, his words are in me, and they're doing a work in me, and, and what I want are his kingdom purposes. Your will be done, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what I long for because this is coming out of who I am becoming as I live in Jesus and he lives in me. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And, and then he says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Love. So here's our active participation again. As I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So, so we participate through, through, through learning obedience to Jesus. And He's modeled that obedience for us because He was obedient to the Father. How, how obedient was Jesus? Like, so I'll answer it for you since you can't talk back to me. He was completely obedient. In fact, Jesus is the only completely obedient son of the Father. Now, in saying that, Jesus was not the first son of the Father, not the first to go by that name. Uh, the nation of Israel 
Often the prophets in particular used sonship kinds of language around the nation of Israel. Israel was God's son, but was an unfaithful son. Jesus came and is the true son who has been completely faithful. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, Palm Sunday, Jesus had been brought to trial and the Roman governor, wanting to kind of throw the crowd a bone, says, I'll release a prisoner to you, and they call for Barabbas. Bar, Hebrew for son, Abba, father, son of the father, Bar Abbas, son of the father. The crowd asked for the wrong son of the father because the, the faithful son of the father was there in Jesus. Jesus is the only completely obedient son of the father, and now now, now the disciples are starting to see things a little differently from this side of the cross. Peter, in this message, in this sermon in Acts chapter 2, he's able to look back on, on, on the other side of the cross and he's able to see words that, that on, on, before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, they weren't, making quite, they weren't making as much sense to them. They didn't quite understand it. Now, because of those events, they're able to look back and they see them in a different way. They're seeing them in the way Jesus intended them to be seen. And, and, and they're beginning to recognize that we are being invited into something that's not just simple belief. It's not just, uh, yes, we are family, but, but we're, it's more than just membership like a fraternity. And, and, and yes, there is kind of a membership component to this. But it's living. It's dynamic. It's alive. And abiding in Jesus is akin, according to the words of Jesus here, it's akin to abiding in his love. And so we begin to see processes being worked here. And you may have noticed that I skipped over a little bit of a thing back in verse 4. That's certainly no little bit of a thing. But if we go back to verse 4, there's another important piece to this idea. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. The NIV translates the Greek there, remain in me, as I also remain in you. And we begin to realize that Jesus is describing a mutual indwelling. We live in Christ. Christ lives in us. And Jesus is calling us to see that this is more than a membership or a fraternity or a club. You're invited to more than a religion or embracing a philosophy of life. This is, is more than something like putting on a new suit. It's more than believing something kind of in the objective sense of believing, that two plus two equals four. And it's more than accepting something or believing something in the subjective sense of the word, like Brussels sprouts have no place on an Easter dinner table. Okay? It's more than these things. This is, this is membership that is intimately entwined. It's, it's family, but, but this is a blood is thicker than water kind of family relationship. Like, you can't just divorce a brother or sister. They're blood. I mean, this is believing, which results in initial transformation, but it's going to result in a lifetime of metamorphosis as I continue to grow and mature and change. And the object of that transformation is Jesus. Ultimately, that others would mistake me for Jesus. Is that Jesus... Oh, no, that was just Terry. It must have been the light in that moment. You know, is that, is that Jesus? Oh, no, that's Bill. That must have been the light in that moment. He, he kind of caught the right reflection of Jesus. Is that, is that Jesus? No, no, 
I'm not sure. What exactly am I looking at? Because we've been transformed and over time we are growing and the life of Christ is flowing through us and we are in Christ and he is in us and where one begins and the other ends is a mystery because it's so entwined and it's such a beautiful, intimate blood relationship that I am growing and transforming never to be the same again. This transformation is a remake from the inside out. And it's a remanufacture from the outside in. Jesus in you, you in me. You see, memberships can be surrendered. Um, clubs can be unjoined. When, when serious life challenges come along, and all you have is a, is a philosophy of life, a few ideas to kind of hang your hat on, you may find yourself in a place where you say, this philosophy of life is not working. It doesn't work for me, I'm going to abandon it. But Jesus invites us not just to follow him, but to live in him, and to invite him to live in us. As we circle that idea, it's like there's a welcome here that's extraordinary. This is God Almighty inviting us to live in him and him in us. There's an embrace that is, is gripping, like the best hug you've ever received. This is security that, that just does not go away. It's not like, I mean, all of the things that we've been tempted to put our, our trust and our faith in in our world today, the financial systems, the political systems, the medical systems, they're all being tested and taxed and shown that they're not nearly as secure, but this is security in Christ and he in me. It's belonging. It's being loved utterly and being enabled to love. And suddenly when, when trials and difficulties come along and this is where you are, this is what the thing that you've been brought into, suddenly every trial, every difficult experience, comes as an opportunity to go deeper into Jesus, to grow deeper in him. Jesus, I need more of you in this moment. It's an opportunity for you to learn to allow more of Christ to flow out of you. And to keep it sounding from too superficially, too, too metaphorically, too philosophically, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser and, and you are pruned branches and now your job is to remain in me. And, and it's to take my words into yourself and to ensure they remain there and such that you begin to live out of this relationship and out of these words such that your life is characterized by me as you live me everywhere you go. And, and, and we'll throw that picture of the grapevine up again. If you linger in this kind of mutual indwelling relationship with Jesus, many things are gonna begin to be beautifully and wonderfully transformed. Jesus says, you will receive joy. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be full. Anyone need more joy these days? How about more security? Um, Anyone say, no, 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 I've got enough love, thank you very much. Uh, Enough embrace, enough genuine welcome. Uh, We're going to talk over the next couple Sundays about this joy that we've been invited into. But this morning it's going to bring us to the Lord's table. Because all of a sudden... Jesus is going to invite us to hear these words that have become very, very familiar to us in in perhaps some new light. Maybe you'll recall, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. John chapter 4, it was one of those places where people are like, what? And we begin to hear this me in Christ and Christ in me a little differently now. We hear the language of him as the bread of life a little differently. He's saying, look, take me in. Chew on me. Chew on my words. Digest them until they become part of you and are naturally flowing out of you. But before we get to the bread and the cup, we need to have some honest conversation with Jesus. We do this, how? Spiritually, right? We must approach him in spirit and truth. So so let me invite you to bow your head with me, if you would. Close your eyes. I'll invite the worship team to come and prepare to lead us. But let's just talk to Jesus together this morning. Some of these words, feel free to, to borrow them. Lord Jesus, we come in confession, agreeing that we do not consistently walk in your ways. And friends, let me just put a little pause here. As your eyes are closed and your head is bowed, let me just invite you to silently reflect for a moment. Firstly, if you're coming to Jesus for the first time, just tell him that. Confess that you've been going your own way. Ask him to forgive you as you now turn to God. If you're coming to Jesus for the hundredth time, tell him about the lapses of this past week. When you failed to to maybe live in Christ and allow his life to flow through you, you forgot him, maybe doubted him, just tell him about that. We We confess just in these quiet moments. And then we repent. Lord Jesus, we are resolved to turn and walk a new way. Teach us, Lord Jesus, to walk in your way, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in my life and through my life and among us. Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving our sin and restoring us to the embrace of the Father. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.